listening to the Small Town Queer podcast produced by Tweed Regional Museum in northern New South Wales, Australia. Follow us as we uncover and explore Tweed's rich queer history from the early 1900s to the present. The museum has collaborated with LGBTQIA community members to collect, share and preserve the histories of Tweed's many and varied queer voices. to recognise the generations of local Aboriginal people of the Bundjalung Nation who are the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast today. My name is Emma Shield. And my name is Erica Taylor and we are the curators of the Small Town Queer Digital Project and Exhibition. Hello, on today's podcast, we're talking to local couple Peter Waters and Pete Daly. Peter Waters is a lawyer specialising in telecommunications and competition law, and Peter Daly is an occupational therapist. The couple resides on a farm near the Tweed Coast. In 2017, they spearheaded and helped to fund one of the most successful regionally based Yes campaigns in Australia. The electorate of Richmond, which includes Tweed Shire, expressed an above average yes vote of 67.9%. As a result, the Australian Marriage Act of 1961 was updated on the 9th of December 2017 to allow for marriage equality. Welcome Peter and Pete, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, thank you. We're starting all of our podcast episodes by asking our interviewees, how do you identify as a small town queer? Peter? Well, I suppose I was a small town queer before I knew it, because I grew up in Lismore. And of course, in those days, there were no reference points, no talk, other than in derogatory statements about being queer. Right. And I, probably escaping the town was part of finding my identity as a queer person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to go to a city, in fact, I had to go to another country to, to find that for myself. Really? And where did you... Uh, I went to the US um, and I sort of made a resolution to myself that when I stepped off the plane, I would begin being gay and I would live that life openly. Um, And I built sort of the courage and the patterns of behaviour to then be able to come back and step off the plane here and do the same thing. And what about you, Pete? Um, I guess for me, um, it's hard when you think about yourself as something where that begins and ends. I grew up in the very inner city of, of Melbourne and, um, and I guess I always knew to some degree I was a gay man and that just became a part of who I was and as I've become an older person it's not sort of the first thing I think of about myself, I'm me, yeah. but certainly it's a very large part of me and it's a part of me of which I'm very proud. Um, and, you know, living in a big city, there's great opportunities to, to live that and express that. Um, I moved to Mubulumba for a lifestyle change. Um, and it's funny because I never, by that stage of my life, I guess it had become less a focus of who I was and just a part of who I was. And so living in a small town made no difference really. Generally, I'd say I've, it's been a great experience as a gay man living in a small town. The marriage equality debate changed that a bit, but we'll get to that, I, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I identify myself as a, as a small town queer gay man living in a, a great rural community. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. 
So why did you move to the Tweedshire? I know, Pete, you just told us a little bit about it being a lifestyle change for you. Was that all it was or...? Um, I guess so. I, I'd been visiting here for many years, visiting friends who lived here, and for about 20 years it was one of those things I was always going to do. Mm-hmm. And then I just did it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I didn't think about it a lot. I moved to Mwurumba, and I lived in Mwurumba for many years, and it was, it was a great thing in my life. Wonderful. So no regrets? No, no, none at all. And Peter? Well, the presenting reason was that I was towards the end of my career. I'd worked really hard. I wanted a change in my life. Mm-hmm. And my mother lived here and she needed some support and care. So mm-hmm. I decided I'd move back. But I suppose the more I think about it, uh, I sort of escaped here to find my identity. But part of the beauty and the life that you have here remained part of me right. in a way. And it took a long time to recognise that. And I was, I was very glad to have done that. I initially lived down towards Byron and then Peter and I met and I moved up here to Tweed, which was ironic because when I was in Lismore, we used to always have to come on trips. The Lismore High and Moorlombar High have <laughs> annual trips where they go on sport and debating right. and everything. And I used to have to come to Moorlombar and I was always terrified of the kids in Moorlombar. All the inter-school activities. That's right, because the kids in Moorlombar always yep. seemed tougher. But, really? <laughs> yes. But, but, but yeah, so it was funny to be back here. And how has this experience been compared with living in the city, Pete? It's interesting for me because I always identified the city as the big um, cosmopolitan place where people were probably broader in their thinking. Um, And when I moved here, it probably was a concern somewhere in my mind. Mm -hmm. Friends who lived here were were gay and lesbian people, so I probably looked to them a bit. But in truth, the interesting thing for me is it had never been an issue. and in fact, when I reflect, living in the city, I came across more challenges in regards to homophobia than I ever have living in a small town in the country. It's very interesting because yeah. I think a lot of people would assume it's the other way around. Yeah, and I would have too. Mm. Yeah. Did you want to say anything else, Peter? Uh, yes, I, I think when I lived, well, I, I've lived in Sydney and a number of places overseas and much of that life and much of me was defined by work. And so... Why I enjoy the experience here is that your life is defined by much more by your relationships. And if I start mm-hmm. to talk about work and what I do when I, in Sydney, people sort of tend to roll their eyes and, yes. and move on. Yes. So it, it's nice to have your life defined by something richer than just the experience of than work. Than what you do work-wise yeah. or where you, yeah. what suburb you might live in in the city. And and we have a, a wonderful group of friends here. So you, when you moved here, you said there were some people here already from the, the Rainbow community that you knew of. Have you met more people? Do you feel a sense of community, a community within a community, for example? With our research, we've certainly found that some of the people that we've spoken to thought they were literally the only gay in the village, but maybe through um, joining online groups, they've come to discover there are other people who identify as queer in the community. Did you find that, or did you find that you had to create that for yourself? I'll answer that um, first. I, when I moved up here, the, the people um, that I did know here who were from the Rainbow community, they, um, they were couples, and I was single at the time, so I made a little pledge to myself to say no to any invitation. And that did um, open up some opportunities. I'd go to um, gay and lesbian things, 
um, like tropical fruits mm -hmm. events and, and nights and things and try and meet people that way. And I did make friends and I don't know, maybe we just spot each other in the street, but in town we've met other couples and become friends with them over time. Um, but it, it is a sort of community within a community, but in the living of it, it it's not necessarily that we keep to a ghetto. It's, sure. it's really that we're all just you know, socialising together and being together and we just happen to be right. game-listening people. But it is nice to know that there is strength in numbers in the yes. community within the community and that um, you are part of something else. And I guess you might have had to draw on that community when we did come to the marriage equality campaign. Did you find that you relied on that network or you had to build that network and maybe if you could uh, introduce to us how you came to be involved in the local yes campaign peter it's sort of a complex answer because um compared to growing up as a teenager in lismore living now here in this community where um you know our, our group includes gay and straight people and it's much you know it's just part of living the everyday experience yes. that's such a stark contrast but when it came to the marriage equality campaign, in some ways it re-exposed the fears that all gay people have about how they be, will be perceived, how people will respond to them. Mm -hmm. And so um, there wasn't a sort of a rising up of the queer community in the Tweed Valley to okay. actually campaign for marriage equality. In some ways it was the opposite. People were fearful that what they had gained through the way they live their ordinary lives and that the acceptance which, which, which they saw on a person-to-person -person level might somehow vanish in the sharp political debate that was going on. Right. And so many people, many queer people actually didn't step up because they were fearful of a return to a less benign, a more hateful environment. Right. Um, and so in some ways we had to build it from scratch and sometimes you felt awfully alone in what you were doing. Right. And I'm sure it's quite hard because there is an expectation to be an activist because the community has always had to fight for what it has, for services and for rights, for its rights. So how did you contact and mobilise the queer and allied community, local community, to join the campaign? And what strategies did you implement to also maybe garner the support of the wider voting community? I suppose Richmond? a lot of the focus of the campaign was on reminding the wider community because at the end of the day, they are the ones that had to vote in the majority for this to happen. Yes. And so much of the campaign and the, the way we approached it was reminding people the wider community, that gay people live amongst them. You know, we had an advertisement, which I think was the mo most effective, which said, you know, we are your brothers, your sisters, your employees, your employers. Um, you know, we're here in this community and we want you to recognise us. And so yes. that was very much the focus of how we advertised and pushed the campaign here in the Tweed. And can you tell us a little bit more, maybe for the listeners who haven't read the article that covers the campaign on the Small Town Queer website, what were some of the campaign strategies and activities that you implemented 
to get people's attention and make them realise that this is a human rights issue as well as a local issue. It's not just an issue for LGBTQI plus people to be concerned about. Um, so a lot of it was just sort of putting the message out there publicly. We had some great sort of um, courageous allies who, who allowed that to happen. We um, managed to get a sign, a banner put across the road, both at Tweed Heads and, um, and here in town, um, that the council uh, puts up, uh, allows banners to be put up. And there was a fantastic younger woman in Tweed Council who made sure that happened. Great. And she was great. Um, we took out advertisements in the newspaper, put up signs, at, you know, screen signs at the at cinema, those sorts of things. We even put up on our own farm a sort of a, a, a big yes sign on the hill made out of fairy lights so that Wonderful. when you were driving down Clothis Creek Road, you'd see it there. We tried other things that weren't so successful mm-hmm. and, and did make you feel it was going to be a failure, that it wasn't going to get traction. Uh, another uh, campaigner and I went around all the shops in town and knocked on everyone's door and wanted to put up, you know, ask them if we could put up a sign. Other than just a few locations, the standard response was either they didn't support the case, but most of them it was, look, I do really support you, but if I put this sign up, I'm worried somebody will throw a rock through my window. And when you go up and down the main street and that's the response you get, it's very dispiriting. I bet. Peter was actively involved at a national level. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's times when I wonder what it would have been like here if, um, if Peter hadn't brought that energy to town. Mm. Because I think I was quite brave at the time, but I was brave because I had strength behind me. And those sort of, I had no questions about living in a small town and how it might be, but I think the surprise for me was when we were doing these things and hearing people say, look, I'm worried about rocks through the window, that that was the town I was living in that this was being set in. And, you know, we also had a a stall in a park during um, Mm. the weekend markets and things, and we had some good responses and we had just a few negative responses. They weren't pleasant. But it, it, but it, it just was a, it was a surprise. So I think um, it shook me probably more than it shook Peter. It didn't shake me insofar as I didn't want to stand up and be seen, but rather I was cranky at the town I lived in at the time. Um, but, you know, there were, there were just smaller bits too. Like we had posters up in our windows at home and you didn't see that around town, whereas I would no. visit Melbourne and... You know, some of the suburbs, every house would have one in the window. Um, and in Sydney, I know it was similar. And I'd just be disappointed sometimes there wasn't great representation. Mm-hmm. But I would talk to friends about that and they would say, gee, I didn't think of it because I didn't think it was necessary. For them, um, they'd say, well, we're going to make this happen. You know, we don't need to put posters up. So that's fair enough. I think we didn't, you didn't mention that we had the shop front in town that we yeah. put signs up in. But as, as hard as that could be at times, there were just funny little moments where you'd be buoyed, like the person at the Tweed Council who really pushed to make that happen, the woman who printed the big banners for us. I don't know, was she in the Gold Coast? Yeah, she was in the Gold Coast, and um, I, I tried a number of places to get the banner printed, and they wouldn't print them. Um, but she was just fantastic. She said, oh, I'll do it for nothing. That's and, great. Um, and she printed up the banners, and uh, so, yeah. 
there were things like that. And that kept you going to the next activity. (laughs) Well, you know, when you're cranky and someone (laughs) does something that's positive, you think, okay, this is good stuff. There was this whole national campaign going on in the background and there were points where there was a real concern that the Yes campaign might not get more than 50% overall. And so there was a more of a resurgence um, nationally with phone calls and things like that, people trying very desperately to reach out to families and friends whilst you're running this local campaign. And I understand that there were times where you felt dispirited, but you kept going. And remarkably, it was a very, very successful campaign. The Richmond electorate for which Tweed Shire is placed within actually received an above average national postal vote of 67.9%. So how did it feel A, knowing that the Yes campaign was successful, but also looking at how well Richmond had turned out for Yes votes? Well, it was very affirming and surprising. It was surprising that it was so high because the campaign... You weren't expecting it? No, given on on what it was like to go through the campaign. And and also, you know, there was that sort of building ugliness at the national level. Yes. um, That... Some fear-mongering, really, and trying to connect marriage equality to a whole host of other Yeah, and and the way that many, some politicians sort of invoked that sort of, the sense of ugliness that was growing. So, Mm -hmm. and and the campaign went on so long, Mm -hmm. and it was very distressing to a lot of queer people over that period of time as the rhetoric got uglier Mm -hmm. and uglier. So then to have that day, I remember it because I was in Sydney and... Basically, everybody in my law firm turned out to watch the result. And it was just fantastic. It was really Wonderful. fantastic. And then to see that Richmond got such a high vote. Mm. You sort of walked down the street and, and you kept thinking, you know, seven out of ten of you actually right. did this. Um, and it was, it was very affirming. Wonderful. And, Pete, when you think about that and what you were saying earlier about not being sure, like, what town do I live in when you were sometimes receiving those negative reactions or maybe less than enthusiastic reactions to the campaign but then to realize actually Richmond did turn out and voted above average for yes yeah um you know that that was a great thing I think it was a surprise the figure was a surprise um but a good surprise um it's hard to remember the feelings at the time to look back and remember I, I think Part of it too, as you mentioned, about the discussion had become about other issues. Mm-hmm. One of the big other issues was the children of gay and lesbian people, and I have two children um, who live with their mums. And you think what happens to them, you think what happens to yourself if this is a, a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. And what does, it, what does it mean to live in a country where um, you're kind of not celebrated or you're not acknowledged to have equality? Um, and thankfully, we didn't have to deal with that. Mm. Um, but they were the sort of background feelings. I do remember during the lead up to it, you know, we met with other groups of people and they weren't just gay and lesbian people. There were also groups of um, heterosexual and other people in the community who supported the cause. And, you know, within that, people just kept saying to each other, look after each other, look after right. yourself and look after each other. So that was good. That was the community within the community. And so when you sit down and reflect, you remember, wow, but we yeah. got through it. And, yeah. um, and it was a great outcome. And, and I, I say it's a great reflection of Australia. Yes. I went to a, um, 
a sort of queer conference, uh, international queer conference. At the beginning of the conference, the organisers asked the Irish and the Australians to stand up. And um, she said, you are the only two countries in the world where people by popular vote voted to support queer people. Um, And all the others were through either a court or a a parliament. But, you know, in Australia and Ireland, it was achieved through mass popular support. That's right. And, you know, that is something. That is something to be really proud of. But then when I see Malcolm Turnbull put it down as his greatest achievement in office, I still have to grind my teeth what it put everyone through and for him to regard it as a great triumph of his disregards the terrible pain that it caused. Well, he deferred that decision, didn't he, to, you know, a referendum, the vote of the people, but he didn't need to do that. And as you say, when you think back, you actually went through an awful ordeal, as did a lot of queer people and it was quite shocking I would imagine for younger queer people to think are my rights really on the table to be discussed am I going to be examined in this way Um, well the Irish had a great ad that we saw where a heterosexual couple ran around to all the neighborhood knocking on the doors saying we're just here to ask you if we could get married (laughs) and you know it was a good turning of the tables about what it's like what it was like for us like why do we have to ask for this permission to be who we are? People, as you say, they grin and bear that they got on with their campaign, even though many people felt like this is not, we shouldn't have to be doing this. This could be done as a a simple vote in Parliament. But it did have the upside of that sort of mass demonstration of support. And seeing all the live footage of the people, the live reactions in you know, public spaces all around the country. It was, it was that was wonderful to yeah. think that, you know, basically 65% of Australians mm. were solidly behind you. So. And, you know, your whole struggle in your life as a gay person is, do I belong? And to have 65% of people say, yeah, you do absolutely belong, is a powerful thing. It is. It very much is. And I think that's why when we met with you um, in our initial interview as research for this project, we realised there was just so much more to maybe than what we had read in newspapers or knew it sort of within our family or work circles that we felt that this is, this is a longer form article. This is, these are interesting stories that need to be told on the story map and then ultimately a podcast. So we really appreciate you participating in this podcast and really telling us from your point of view what that campaign was like because it does seem like it was there was a lot of ups and downs but ultimately it was a great victory um, for the whole community, the whole electorate. And one of the great things that has come out of that is that although Tweedshire has become sort of a marriage destination anyways, a lot of LGBTQI people have decided to get married here, um, some of which, two couples of which actually got married shortly after the law was changed um, and we talk about them in the story map. So I just wanted to know what you thought about that. I guess the, the, the energy goes to making it happen and then you're so tired from the site you don't sure. think a lot after yep. that. But look, I, I, the Tweed's just a beautiful place to do anything really, isn't it? Yes. And um, if, if it is a place where people can come and get married, if it's a place where gay and lesbian people and other people can come and get married, bring it on. I just wondered if maybe that above average vote signaled something. Yeah. 
But what I think is also interesting is that there wasn't a sort of tidal wave of gay people getting married. True. Um, it was to have the right and then to think about whether it works for you. Right. And in a way, we're just beginning to see some of our friends now, years later, getting married. Um, so it, it, was, it was the ability to, to have that space to make that decision about whether it worked for you. Right. It may not work for some people. It may work for people over time. So that's what's been really the, the interesting things. Your question is interesting, though. I wonder, people who have come, again, listen, people who have come here to get married... Um, I wonder what, from, from outside of the area, I wonder what their perception is mm. um, and whether they've investigated with the, the outcome of the, the vote. I do wonder at that because, um, as you know, there are lots of gay tourism operators and sites and there are websites you can go and check to sort of find out if, if um, maybe a location is gay friendly or this business, yeah. you know, is, is a safe place to host an event if there's going to be gay people in present. Uh, I know in the story map we showcase some of the wonderful gay, friendly and gay operated businesses that have existed a long time in Mwurumba. So I just thought maybe the above average vote um, maybe also signalled something to people in the community who are sometimes used to naturally checking. Is this going to be a good destination for me to visit or to move to? But what I think this is interesting is that just the, not so much even the gay-friendly businesses, but just the ordinary businesses right, where it now is just part of their business. You can go to the news agent here in Mwomba and in the wedding section there are her and her and his and his cards. I never thought I would see that in right. just an ordinary, everyday country news agent. And it's theirs. And, and that's actually the most rewarding thing to right. see that, that it's just part of everyday life in our town now people don't give it a second thought and it also signals that there has been a long history here as we've established in our research uh just going back to the early 1900s i mean there's probably a history far beyond that that we haven't quite reached but i did want to ask you you are now part of tweed history for your involvement in the successful yes campaign why is it important to you both to collect and preserve local, regional, queer history? Coming to accept that you are gay, queer, is always a journey of self-discovery. I think even now for young people. But when I was growing up in a small town, there were no external reference points. You, you didn't even know what it was. You didn't even know. You couldn't, you couldn't explain it other than you would hear terrible derogatory statements in ordinary, everyday conversation. But there was no positive external reference point. Like, you know, thank God for number 96 because that was the first <laughs> time I saw it on television and wow. I could instantly recognise what it was. That was the first yep. sort of explanation. And so I think if you grow up in a country town, even, even today in today's media, to have it, you know, to, to have that external reference point, to be able to see, you know, during the marriage equality um, campaign the rainbow flag outside the council chamber. You come on a school excursion to this this museum to see that fantastic cabinet that you've got out there saying small town queer. To see the little small town queer signs at, at the cinema. Those things just give you little messages right. that this can be okay. And so I, I think that's why it's important to preserve that. And it also recognises people 
who had a lot of courage to live in, you know, to live underground, as right. it were, yeah. and to form their own social networks and, and survive. Those people had a lot of courage to do that, and they need to be recognised for that courage. I think sometimes, you know, collecting history can just be, it, it can just be fun. And it, the things, you come into a museum or usually a museum and there is this fantastically gathered history and you discover how people did live and how hard it might have been or how different it might have been, but it is how people were. In some ways reflects how we are today and that it reminds us. And I, I think like... Peter says it's it's great for people coming in to feel okay with what they see. It can shift people's thinking about things. It can enlighten people, or yeah, it can just be fun to see. You know, I come in here and see that, and there's a lot of um, having been a part of some of that is a reflection. But I look at other people's lives and think, wow, look how they have achieved this, or look what that story was yeah. and I, I hope it continues. Like we're sitting in this room and behind you is a wall full of white photographs of white men but now you step outside this room into the museum there's a fantastic um, a gallery now of, about the indigenous story in this valley. It, it just reflects the people who live here and what better thing could you do in a museum that actually reflect all the people who bring value to the community in which you live. Those old white men up there, they did bring value, but it's a very narrow story when it's just them hanging on the wall. Definitely, and I think that's why we chose this methodology of queering the museum, looking at our collection through a queer lens, and we will be discussing this in a later podcast, uh, and also just getting out there and talking to people because it is a very diverse community, both internationally, nationally, but especially locally too. And I mean that in terms of the whole queer community, but also within the queer community, often I think people see us as a monolith. Yeah. Um, and as you will know from um, being part of that community, but maybe for others who are not, who will read the stories within the exhibition, it is a very diverse community. People have chosen to move here for all kinds of reasons, maybe similar to, to some people who aren't part of the queer community, but they've been able to express themselves in a unique way. And I think that's history-making and, and very much worthy of being within the museum now and into the future. So thank you very much, both of you, for participating in Small Town Queer. It very much is the start of... Um, collecting in this area and um, we're really grateful for your contribution um, and for the listeners who may have the opportunity to visit the museum we do as Peter referred to have a small display case in our lobby at the moment which actually has the shirts and a pin that you wore during the marriage equality campaign that you both kindly donated to the collection because we are looking to collect objects as part of our collection which we hope will become a larger physical exhibition in the future so thank you very much and I think also we would like to say that you call out the courage that you and the museum have shown in putting this whole thing together um, it's a fantastic thing for a small regional museum to do it says a lot about how far we've come definitely so thank you Thank you for listening to the Small Town Queer podcast. 
To hear more Small Town Queer Stories, subscribe to the series and like, share and review this episode. And check out the Small Town Queer playlist on Spotify, curated by museum staff and project participants. For more information about Small Town Queer, visit museum.tweed.newsouthwales.gov.au forward slash small hyphen town hyphen queer. Tweed Regional Museum is supported by the New South Wales Government through Create Funding New South Wales. This project would not have been possible without the support and collaboration of the people of Tweed who have generously shared their lived experiences, archives and objects with this project.